Coming up on this edition of the Magic Hour, Andy and I will explain to you why we are both the heroes you need and the heroes you deserve. Uh, we'll also get into some uh, pandemic life, what it's like for us in the pandemic, why it's difficult to schedule guests during a pandemic for reasons we didn't quite anticipate. Player testing questions, Andy, are popping up all over. Uh, what we're missing about the Lakers this year and, and and some interesting stuff based on things you've been writing. And of course, we will take some time to talk about Kenny Rogers, who died over the weekend uh, after a long illness, a gigantic figure uh, for people of a certain age, which unfortunately we are, which makes us a little old. Uh, anyway, all that coming up on the Magic Hour. Welcome to this week's edition of the Magic Hour here at the Forum Club here at The Athletic. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky coming to you. Uh, it's Sunday night. It's March 22nd, right, Andy? I, dates are yes, starting be, to slowly become meaningless. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it, it, it will be March 23rd, Monday, when people hear this. And really, the only reason I know this for sure is I got an email from my daughter's school right. letting us know what the new school week will entail which naturally means it's going to be Monday uh, tomorrow or today when people hear it. Right. And so uh, it, it is, you know, a kind of a brave new world for everyone. I, uh, Andy is recording from his house. I am recording from my house as, you know, everybody's encouraged to stay home as much as possible. Uh, and of course, the setup means that you got to find the quietest place you can. Uh, we're recording at night after the kids go to sleep. And for me, that's the car. So I'm inside, I'm, I'm, I'm in a van down by the river. Uh, Chris Farley style, and it's raining. So if you if it sounds perhaps like it's raining inside my studio, it's because it's raining basically inside my studio. So uh, yeah, I mean, look, the, these hey. are difficult. These are difficult times right now. Like you know, if if you ever wondered what it would be like to be doing a podcast during the apocalypse, like this is a bit of a hint. It's close. I mean, it's not exactly the same. There are as no. Far, no, I mean, let's. Let, I mean, let's, first of all, during an apocalypse, <laughs> you wonder who's listening. Well, I think, <laughs> like, at the, no, at that point, it's more important than ever to give people the kinds of distractions that they get from people like us at the Magic Hour, because Andy, you think this is bad. Zombies, that's tough. You see, um, but I feel like, I mean, I don't want to go too far down this road, but I feel like once you reach the zombie Andy, apocalypse, Andy, it's, we've got time. it's irresponsible <laughs> to be doing a podcast that would distract people. Like everybody needs to keep their eye on the ball. That's true. You don't want to be doing a pod. Like now is not that's the a, time for your- That's like, a horrible during, way to go. Yeah. During a, a zombie apocalypse, that's not the time for your and my pithy observations, like <laughs> as amusing as they are, just not the right time. It's a, I guess it is a little bit self-important to feel like we're the two people to get you through the zombie apocalypse. Well, hey guys, remember the Lakers? Especially. <laughs> remember what that especially was like? Especially once the power goes out. Now you're yeah. really just navel gazing. Um, yeah. So no, you, you don't want to be listening to like the latest edition of Conan O'Brien needs a friend and then you'd, suddenly you get bit in the shoulder and then it's over for you. Um, other things that are really interesting about this that we're learning, uh, we record, as we've just mentioned on Sunday night, we had a few guests, uh, uh, guests lined up. It turned out he had uh, too much wine with dinner and asked if we could do it another night. We're like, sure, no problem. So we called someone else and we're like, Hey, you want to come on? That person was already drunk. And then we called the third person. Correct, Andy? Yes. And he was drunk. Yes. So two things. First of all, we are apparently the only people who are sober during the pandemic. 
Um, and also too, we have, we, uh, we can only book now recovering alcoholics to come on our show when we record it. Well, this is what I thought was really interesting because you and I, like in part, at least the reason that we're not drunk at this hour is, you know, we're thinking about, we've got to record a podcast, but also too, like we have, we have kids and we're, and you know, we're trying to, you know, be responsible adults, try to help our wives out, you know, that sort of stuff. Help get the kids to bed. Well, but two of the three guests that we reached out to also have kids. So I'm wondering like what what how are they somehow able to fit drinking in all this and we can't like Or maybe maybe they're tr- just are, maybe they might have nicer wives. No, or maybe or, they're I mean, just are, not good people. Maybe we're just we better like, people. Are we treating this podcast as more important than it really is? It's, well, <laughs> maybe, but I I think it comes down to this. We're the heroes. America needs right now. Um, like I, I, I yeah, I, California. For I, I assume a lot of the people listening to this are in California, Lakers fans and whatnot. But um, you know, the the restrictions on um, uh, on travel are you know traveling around the city are getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And I don't think I certainly am not arguing with it. But one of the things that made me laugh over the course of the week as Merrick Garcetti is announcing these things and it's. It's very, it's, it's concerning. It's disturbing. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it makes everybody uncomfortable. But I looked at the list of people that are considered essential workers and are in fact allowed to go to work. And it includes both Andy radio people and people doing podcasts. So journalists, media people like ourselves, uh, we are, uh, like Mr. Rogers said, like in times of trouble, look for the helpers. That's us, Andy. We're the yeah, helpers. Yeah, I mean, you, you were listening before, Brian, or mentioning the idea of us being heroes. I think it's pretty obvious during this pandemic, when you take a look at the people who've really been, you know, the heroes that this country or maybe even the world needs, it's like Dr. Fauci, one. Yes. Us, two. <laughs> and then, I mean, you could pick a third. Right. I don't know if it really matters at that point who the third would be, no, but, but it, I mean, it's pretty obvious. And I, I don't expect people when they see me to say thank you for your service. But I would appreciate it. I'm not going to lie. It would be nice. Andy, I'm, a, I'm podcasting. Yeah. I did sports radio on Friday from my home. Mm-hmm. I was providing comfort to people. Do you think Dr. Uh, is Dr. Fauci married? I don't I, I know. bet he wishes he wasn't right now. Tell you what. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> He's like the sexiest man in America right now, isn't he? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if nothing else, I mean, you, you look a lot better if you've got access to one of those tests. That's true. Why don't, um, you, oh, why don't you come over here and social distance in my house, honey? So uh, speaking of um, media and essential people like us, uh, we found out today our colleague at The Athletic, Bill Orem, he shaved his head. He did. He looks exactly, uh, he kept the beard. He's got like a really, he's got like a playoff beard going. Uh, and he yeah. shaved his head. He looks exactly like Shel Silverstein. <laughs> yeah, well, he look he actually to me looks like a guy ready to join a militia. <laughs> like if things really go well, sideways. Andy, if you look back at the cover of the Giving Tree, Shell Silverstein kind of looked like a guy ready to join a militia. Um and I I reached out to Bill to get an official statement on the shaving of his head mm-hmm. and he said, "Quote, I don't have to be anywhere with anyone other than my family for a likely span on months." It will be like it never happened. In isolation, any hour, you can find any entertainment and joy is worth any cost, even my hair. And I have to tell you, Brian, when I heard this statement from Bill, it, it was a bit of a triggering moment for me <laughs> because it, 
you may you will remember this. It reminds me of in 2008 when I got really angry at Jeff Bridges because he shaved his head for Iron Man. And like, you know, the, I was just incredulous at the like the idea and the arrogance of risking such incredible hair when he could have just used a skull cap. It's true. And it's that, like, it's just, that it's that episode of Seinfeld where like yes. you think it's going to grow back. Nobody should sh- if you have beautiful hair and to to his credit, our colleague Bill Orham, a uh, host of basketball reasons, which you should download. Yeah. Him uh, and Brett Dawson. With uh, Brett Dawson. He has a great head of hair and he just yeah. shaved it off. Yes. It, it, it was, it was to be honest, took, really arrogant. I took it personally. It was, I'm not saying it was an F you to us, but anyway, you can go to his Instagram feed and watch him do it. Yeah. So that's an option. No, it's, uh, it's frankly very off putting, although I will say it looks good. He doesn't look bad. No, he doesn't look bad at all. Um, anyway, so how's uh, we'll get to some some basketball stuff here a little. There's not a ton, but we'll get to it. Um, the the you know some interesting things about player testing and some stuff generally that we miss about the Lakers um, and and you know w- what we're not seeing right now. Um, how is uh, pandemic life treating you so far? <sighs> I could do without it. <laughs> so I mean, th- th- how's the pandemic? <laughs> It's tough, man. I mean, like, you know, being in your house this much of a day, every single day, particularly as a parent, like, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard. Like, you know, I mean, I've, I've got a third grader who, by and large, she's been a really good sport during this thing. But, you know, she gets moody and she gets bored and she's clearly miserable and I don't blame her. Like, it oh, the sucks. Whole thing sucks. A, yeah. It sucks to be a kid right now. And then, you know, during the week, you know, I have to play this role of somebody with an actual job trying to get work done while also being a totally unqualified third grade teacher and PE teacher. <laughs> like, it's just, it's ridiculous. And, you know, I, I overheard her and one of her friends having a FaceTime conversation and they were talking about how homeschool sucks. And her friend says, yeah, my, my the parents aren't nearly as good as explaining this stuff as my teacher is. And for a second, I was like, should I be offended? But then I was like, no, I got nothing. They're right. No, they're, of course they're right. But like, you know what? Let's see them do a podcast. Uh, Actually, my daughter did a podcast for a school no, uh, project. Andy, it was really good. I met their teachers. I'm just saying. Not your daughter. Was, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it's the problem. It's not even so much that you're home all the time. It's that there are other people there. Um that that's really the problematic part. Like everyone's home, and then so like I, I don't remember. Did we talk about this last week? Like none of there's that great tweet going around. It's like you know all of this beautiful art and music and things and creativity that are going to come out of of this time period where everybody suddenly has to stop and be home and what. None of it is going to be created by people with children. No, none of absolutely it. Like not. literally none of it. Like I, I think this pandemic more than anything crystallizes the difference in lifestyle between people with children and people without and then people with children of different ages and then without because like you know, okay so you have a third grader and just her and so like that's its own kind of thing because on the one hand it's only one of them but on the other hand it's only one of them so like she needs attention she needs someone to talk to she would and so <laughs> and you've met her she's very chatty yes she and she needs that <laughs> In the best of times, <laughs> she's a she's a bit of a talker, chatty chatty Kathy, um, and so like that's its own challenge. And then I have 
a 10 year old and a seven year old like they can play together. They're two and a half years apart. They play together. They get along really well. It's great. They can do stuff. They're old enough where they can play video games. They want to read on their own. Like you don't have to mind them all the time. Uh, so that's helpful. But I also have a, 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 a like an 18 month old and she's she's not at that age where she's. Uh, you know, but, you know, she requires a little more attention because she's a baby. You can't just like put her out back and, you know, go inside and work for a couple hours. Or let me just say you're not supposed to. Um, but that's different than our friends who have like a three year old who and, like they don't get it. Like they don't like when do I go back to school? They're they're super needy and they don't nap as like the whole thing is. It's crazy. But like all this talk of binge watching all that, like I am doing none of it. My the only TV I watch is the same stuff I always watch to try to get work done like the th- kinds of things that you don't actually have to pay attention to you mentioned better call Saul like I haven't I I, I haven't yeah I haven't I, been before, before we started this recording just so yeah. people understand no sure like we were talking about it before like you earlier in the day you were talking about, oh yeah like you you managed to get through an episode of better call Saul but it took you like six hours no it took me like I the show premieres every or the, the episodes come out new every Monday I didn't watch it till late Wednesday night and and that usually for me is like a you know if oh, I can't really, watch you're, it you're live, in your chair right watching right it live. If I can't right if I can't watch it live it's like immediately afterwards it's you know it might be my favorite show currently on air yeah it's just the whole thing it's and I, I obviously you know what we're going through is not unique around the city it's not unique around the country um, you know you do this with a uh, with an understanding and appreciation that oh my god it could be so much worse. Um, both of us have, uh, incomes, you know, knock on wood for the time being, both of us have healthy families and, you know, support systems and all of these other things. It is so much worse for so many other people, but, um, it, I'm not going to pretend this is great. It's not cool. <laughs> I'm not going to, I think that's okay. Like, it's this okay. Fun. It is okay. I think for people out there, as long as you, you do so with an understanding that there are people there who have it worse than you. Um, it is okay to be like, this blows, <laughs> like this really sucks. Uh, yeah, as, I, home, I, as Bart Simpson once said, it both sucks and blows. I, I have, I do also have one advantage. Um, and I have not been watching a lot of, you know, like, like you said, for people with uh, kids, this is not the prime binge watching period that a lot of people had fantasized it being, but I've got one. And, and for anybody else that, uh, is listening right now, who hasn't discovered this trick, use it. Um, I have a dog. And dog walking is a prime time for watching at least 10 to 15 minute increments of shows and stuff like that because, you know, she's a little dog, which means she has to be walked more often at night. I'm in charge of that. I like, I don't want my wife walking the dog at night just, you know, for safety reasons and whatnot. And it is hard to actually try to get work done in earnest while walking the dog. No, you can't do it. No, you mean, no, you you gotta walk. you, You the, this is my time to watch. Like I, I had never seen Fleabag before. This is where I've been actually. Oh, Fleabag's Fleabag. fantastic! It's really yeah. good. It's really good. I, I've gotten through. Uh, I mean, because it's only six episodes in season one, um, and they're only half an hour at the most each episode. I've actually gotten through this season purely on dog walks. Like honestly, Brian, if I were you, I'd get a dog now. I can't. It's a, it violates my lease. Although so they, that said, 
with social, given the social distancing that we're all going through right now, it could be years before my landlords find out. Just, just keep that dog like at an angle where they can't see it from six feet and you're good. <laughs> like, I mean, even if they sneak on by. That's actually like, you know how many like, like comedies are being written right now where like that construct is going on? Like where you, like if, if as long as you stay outside of six feet, like the person can't see, like three's company episodes <laughs> under social distancing would look so much different right now. It were just M- like, like oh, Mr. Furley, he's six feet away. Can't see, you know, right now. Yeah. I'm telling you, that's what you ought to do is just like get a dog, rent a dog, like rent a dog on, like on a daily basis just so you can get out. Like you would actually be able to watch some of this stuff. Because well, I could wife, do it when I walk the baby. Like I do take could. her out, but then I'm I'm trying sure. to actually walk. But like um, your your wife and neither of your sons like dogs, so you'd be the only person able to walk this dog, Brian. That's I'm true. I'm telling you, you should do this. I, I should. Um, it's not a terrible idea. Actually, no, it's it's, it's a horrible idea, but it's 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 worth it just to do the uh, the binge watching. I I'm finding too that this this kind of you you start playing weird mental games because in a, like intellectually like we're, like there is no food shortage it's really important people don't behave like there's a food shortage or a toilet paper shortage or a, a paper towel shortage or a, like you know don't hoard stuff um you can get food it is possible and like i've found that stores around la are getting better at organizing the grocery store organizing the experience so that you can go in safely, that the people inside can be kept you know, uh, safe and, and distant from customers. People lined up outside are lined up more than six feet away. From, like we're, we're starting to get the hang yeah. of it a little bit. But that said, like nobody, like I don't, I, nobody wants to go out for like one thing or two things. Like I, all I want to do is leave my house. But then the minute I go anywhere with other people, all I want to do is get the hell out of there because it's yeah. so uncomfortable. It really is. <laughs> like, like any enclosed I, space is just awful right now. I, I did a grocery run Friday because <laughs> I just wanted to, I just wanted to, you know, get, get some extra stuff. Gotta and, eat. You know, like get, gotta eat, you know, want to make sure that, you know, you're stocked up and, and I've been keeping this stuff to a minimum, but occasionally you have you to, have do to it. get like, food. Getting, yeah, you, know. you know, you have to get essentials. And, when I was checking out, I swear the the two guys, you know, the, you know, at the uh, at the register, you know, one ringing it up, the other one bagging. I thanked these guys so many times for being out in this thing. Like, at, they were both at, by the end of it giving me a look, like, get it together, man, <laughs> like, <laughs> calm down, like, get a hold of yourself. You're gonna be able to drive home. And then, of course, you looked at him. You're like, but you know, I'm on the radio, and I need you to thank me for my service. <laughs> Yeah, I turned it around on him. <laughs> but I mean, like, seriously. Come like, on, it, it I did you. Like, now you <laughs> you got to give me mine. Let's go. <laughs> it, <laughs> come on, hero. Recognize hero. That's right. But like, you really do don't. You, like, well, real quick, do, did they give you your siren <laughs> to drive through traffic? Because <laughs> I got mine. It's okay. I don't even, I'm doing sports radio. I don't even bother. Like by now, I'm just recognized. Like 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 Doctor Fauci. <laughs> Does the Batmobile need a siren? No. Yeah, I mean, they, they, people recognize my Accord by sight, and they just let me drive through. All I'm saying is, if Doctor Fauci, if we turn around in like six months, and Doctor Fauci is dating like a 23 year old, we know why. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Absolutely. He's, this, he's People Magazine's sexiest man alive. 
but yeah, it just it's it's really uncomfortable being out. Um, and because of that, you're right. You try to limit any time you're out as little <laughs> as possible. But like grocery stores are normally these are not small places, and you're just like the air just feels so <laughs> like like filled with germs. It's just it's really uncomfortable. Now I will say this: being outside is great. Like that is is incredibly necessary. But um, uh, but like it, it's gotten to me to the point where like. I don't, I don't hoard food, but I ration like the Trader Joe's. My favorite is the spicy, uh, Trader Joe's Korean barbecue sauce. Mm -hmm. I am doling that out on my food. Like literally once it's gone, it will be gone forever. Like I will never be able to experience that barbecue sauce again. I am, I'm rationing that out. I had, I had a jar of Trader Joe's strawberry jam that lasted me like an extra, like two weeks. Cause I just was afraid to eat any of it. Um, stuff like that. Like you do start to play these weird mental games with yourself. I haven't been rationing as much as I've just become obsessed with. I will not let anything go bad. I will not let anything get wasted. Oh yeah. Like like I I have grown obsessive. Kelly, with the idea of I'm going to make use of everything. Yeah, my wife Kelly has a as an uh, rolls her eyes because I have I basically have an expression for that and I like a use for it. like it's the same. Oh, I'll put that in my eggs. Like everything. Yeah, the leftover vegetable. Oh, I'll put that in my eggs. Oh no, no, save that. I'll put that in my eggs, um, and then I just scramble it up and I put in eggs. Like that's that's my my solution for basically every leftover that I have. Or I put it in like noodles, or I put it like everything ends up in my eggs. So oh, to absolutely! Speak. Like all the leftovers just become this hodgepodge of nothing in particular. It's almost like it's, it's a challenge, like though. We're actually yeah. going to get my friend Ali Khan on, who is, uh, if you've been following the the site through the years, the guy who's been doing, he's the host of Cheap Eats, and he's got uh, Ali versus the Dome on YouTube, um, and he's going to, he's been doing our road trip, where to eat things, and uh, we're going to get him on to talk about how to, like, make anything out of whatever it is that you have, because, again, you're not running out for, you know, damn, I'm short on cumin. Like, I'm not going to the grocery store for cumin. Um, so like, what do I do? What can, what can I make out of these seven things that I have? So Ali's going to, we're going to have him on pretty soon to help us with that. But like, it, it's, it's just, it's a weird, it, it's a weird time. It's a weird experience. And unfortunately it's going to go on for a lot longer. Um, we're just at the beginning of it, which again, kind of sucks. Um, let's get to a little bit of basketball, right, Andy? Yeah. Uh, controversy, controversy this week, our friend Bill Orham wrote about it. The Lakers, among other teams have been testing their players for coronavirus. Uh, the Lakers had two players that tested positive, uh, neither of which uh, has been released, the names of which have been released to the public for obvious reasons. The only, one, the only thing that we know for sure, and they, and, and they got tested because of the report that came out earlier with four Nets, four Nets testing positive including the Kevin Durant. Now, do we know any? It doesn't matter, but I mean... You know, to the best of my knowledge. People, yeah. And people, by the way, need to start stop talking about this as people have come at, coming out as being like testing positive for for coronavirus like in the same way that we would talk about people like in the 80s with like HIV or you know coming out as it's they're coming out with with it's like you you got this thing which is going around we need to change our language around this like cuz it almost like stigmatizes the people who get it like by the time this is said and done like half the country could end up with this so we need to wrap our heads around it a little better. Right. But because the Lakers, their last uh, game had been against the Nets and four of their players had tested positive. And, you know, you're talking about with basketball, it's not just like 
exposure to somebody who you know is tested positive for uh, for the coronavirus, you're talking about skin to skin contact, yes. and like a lot of it. So the Lakers naturally ended up getting tested. There's two players we don't know who. The only thing that we know is that neither of them is JaVale McGee, which is great. I mean, you know, obviously you don't want anyone, but in particular with JaVale, he's asthmatic. Yeah, his, so he it's has actually, those underlying health problems that people talk right, about. Right, so it's actually very fortunate that he's not one of them. Yes, we remember last year, JaVale was having an incredible uh, stretch of the season, was playing really well, and then he ended up in the hospital with pneumonia, and for, it really derailed a good portion of his season. Uh, so it is, it is good that he is not one of those people for sure. Um, but anyway, Bill wrote a column that, that was, I don't know, I mean, if controversial is the right word, it was certainly, no, I think it was controversial, um, but it certainly started a conversation, uh, about whether or not it was right for the Lakers to have been tested and to have, you know, tested the players and, and what I've since apparently in the room, like there were people were asymptomatic. There was nobody who was outwardly sick, uh, things like that. And then if you look around the country, um, you know, many people who are showing symptoms that could be coronavirus are not able to get tests, you know, even still. Um, this is sort of on the heels of similar discussions after the Nets got tested, after the Jazz and the Thunder got tested. What was that, two weeks ago almost now? God, it seems. <laughs> I don't know. It could, be, it could be seven years. Doesn't it? I mean, that, I think that was two weeks, not even. It was a Wednesday, right? Because the Lakers played Tuesday. The Jazz and Thunder were Wednesday. Yeah. Oh my God. It's barely like 10 days. Or I know. Oh my God. Uh, anyway. Wow. That is amazing. Um, but anyway, the same criticisms came up. Like, why are these people jumping to the front of the line? Um, and it creates a lot of interesting conversations. One of the things that, that comes out was uh, Ramona Shelburne and ESPN did some reporting. Apparently, the NBA and teams had been prepping for this in ways that many other industries and certainly not, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the federal government response or whatever it might be, were preparing for this and, you know, the possibility of needing to test and all these other things. So they didn't necessarily jump the line so much as got in the line a lot earlier than, than everyone else did. Um, but that's based in part, Andy, on access. You know, these are wealthy leagues that are well-connected with you know, very good medical staffs and ties to medical communities. So they have obvious advantages. Yeah. And I mean, and, you know, Bill, Bill and I actually had a, you know, an offline discussion about this, you know, with his article. So, um, you know, I. Interesting enough, I, loser had to shave his head. <laughs> Go me. That's right. You didn't, you Torched didn't. him in this thing. But, you know, and so I, I, I mentioned this just saying like, this is nothing that I haven't uh, told Bill because I, I agree. Bill's article, which I think was very well written, even though, as, as we'll discuss, I disagreed with a lot of it, definitely sparked a lot of conversation and I think, you know, got a lot of reaction. And Michelle Roberts pointed out that, you know, like they had been advised head of the players by association. Uh, the head of the Players Association, you know, that they had been advised by, you know, public health officials to be getting tested if, the, you know, they had reason to believe their players could be exposed to this and that ultimately the problem was about our governmental and our health system failures and not the NBA. And I completely agree with her. And I, I actually think that these issues have become conflated and that the issue itself has become very muddled because to me, the, 
if there were no shortage of tests and you just presented the question of the Lakers played against a team that more than a quarter of the roster tested positive for this highly contagious virus that we know can be transmitted through, among other ways, skin-to-skin contact, would you have them tested? It would feel like common sense, yes. Of course you would. Right. You know, like you're, if, you're around people, they're spitting, they're breathing, you're getting right. you know, if, body, if bodily no, fluids. Right. If there were no shortage of tests, the obvious answer would be yes. Right. And they're interacting with fans, with staff, right. with Ex- training exactly. staff. They, these guys all travel have people. They, they travel around the country. They move right. this they thing from wide, A to B. Absolutely. They have very wide orbits, you know, like of, of people around them. And they have a lot of common friends and a lot of, you know, common acquaintances. And, and, I mean, they're in front of the media, then, you know, very clear until, you know, a right. week before that, very close, literally quite close to the media so who are close it, to each other. It speaks to the problem is the lack of tests and the lack of access um, that gets exposed by that wealth gap. And, and people should be infuriated by that wealth gap that's being exposed and, and what's so problematic from it. But the, these NBA players, the overwhelming majority of whom are getting tested through private means, and because of that, aren't actually holding up the average person from getting tested. It doesn't tested. seem like, it, 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 I will say, the, how this works and how, why some tests are pi- private, some are public, I, it's confusing. Um, yes. But I don't, I don't think, it doesn't seem at least like the Lakers getting tested means you and I can't. No. As, no. You know, if, if as these players, the heroes that we are even. Well, yeah. I mean, you and I might get tested <laughs> just because of our importance, you know, really to this country. We're indispensable. Going. Right. But if, if, say, you're talking about, like, somebody listening to this show that doesn't have a podcast or doesn't, you know, do, work in doesn't radio. Doesn't do sports radio for a living. Right, exactly. Like, somebody <laughs> who's not deemed essential. And um, we, we call them poors. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, they wouldn't have the same access whether NBA players were getting tested or not. And again, it, it speaks to an infuriating problem and, and an infuriating, you know, failure that, you know, the average American citizen deals with, and it's frankly really disgraceful. But I think the, the anger at, you know, specifically at NBA players or at athletes or, you know, frankly, people of means who are getting tested in a way that doesn't drain the system, I just think it's misguided. And I think it's muddling well, what the actual issue is. And it's funny too, like, you know, today, Rand Paul, a uh, senator from Kentucky, tested positive for coronavirus. And uh, he had not shown symptoms, and a lot of these same arguments came up again. And I, I, I don't mean this as a discussion of Rand Paul's politics, Republican, Democrat, whatever. Um, you know what you think. Broadly speaking, it is important that the people who are responsible for the functioning of government right now are able to work and are able to be do so safely and and uh, in health and all these things. Is Rand Paul inherently more important than, uh, you know, a, a person who has a plumber who has a regular? No, obviously not. But like we're like we need certain people to be able to continue. Like it wouldn't even bother me in the abstract if you said members of Congress could get a test because we need members of Congress working or FEMA people or what. Like I'm okay with some of these things, but you're right. It is easy to conflate the things because what we're really talking about is why doesn't the system work better? 
Um, and it just, it, 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 it's, it gets, it gets back to some of these really complicated systemic things that predated what this is, but are blown wide open by the circumstances that we're currently in. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that Bill pointed out in his piece is that, you know, A, the optics of this look really bad. And I agree with him. The optics look terrible, but I don't think the optics are the actual situation. The optics are just the optics. But he did point out that it would be great if organizations like the Lakers or other NBA teams that have these type of means, if if possible, and I and I when I say if possible, I mean like I literally don't know if this is something legally that's allowed, whatever red tape, but if they would use some of those means to try to help regular people yeah, get make tested. A, a donation, I think it was what Bill suggested. Right. Can you do and, that? And I I again I don't know how feasible that is or isn't. Right. If that is feasible, he's one hundred Bill is one hundred percent correct that that is something that all of these organizations, you know, across the NBA and across sports should be doing because they're all wealthy enough to do it and all connected enough to do it. And I will say, like you're seeing a lot of, you know, we're seeing the Lakers and the Clippers and the Kings are taking care of the uh, Staples Center employees so they can continue to get it paid. You see that generally throughout the league. Players are stepping up. Teams are generally stepping up. Mark Cuban has been fantastic. Yeah, you see a lot of, uh, you know, I, I read something about, um, I think, uh, Staples Center is a Levy restaurant, uh, operated arena. Like all this food that was going to go bad, yes, being donated. Center. But I, I just I'm trying to think of the the, the correct company that it's runs. A it's a couple of food banks, right? But they I'm saying that 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 did the donation, not who they donated to. But that's that's that is a common thing that's happening around. People are figuring out ways to uh, to not let food go to waste or all these other things. And you know there there are interesting ways like these little moments that you have. Like today I'm I'm out with the baby uh, going for a run and whatever. And like you see these moments where you go and you pass somebody in a sidewalk and everybody kind of shifts to the other side of it or stops so you can get around and you know and stay 6 feet away from people like there are people who get it um and there's that sense of community like i got you um i know like you know like there was a really funny kind of an awkward moment i was grabbing something at a CVS uh, I needed some some medicines for the for the kids and stuff you know just stuff that they they need uh not related to this but like and you turn an aisle and it's like me and this other guy um and we're just like in a standoff cuz like we can't get past each other you know and so I back up and he's like everybody kind of gets it you know I met a, a neighbor the other day just moved you know a few weeks ago met a neighbor the other day had a nice conversation Stayed six feet away from each other, you know. Um, I think we gave a quick elbow at the end, um, but like you know, so there are these moments. But you know, it, it just overall, it points to some of the weaknesses that we have as a society, um, yes, as a government, as a as a people. You still see people just kind of spring breakers and all these people just kind of behaving like nothing is happening, and it's 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 infuriating in so many ways. Um, and this is a story where I don't think necessarily anybody did anything wrong, but I get why people are angry. No, I, I understand. I just, I, I, I feel like, again, the, the, the issue has become muddled, but people have a right to be mad. I just, I just hope that it, I hope that people focus their anger in the right direction just because I think it's the most effective use of that anger. Um, all right. So we were, we want to get to, uh. Kenny Rogers here in a second, but you, you've been writing a little, some, some stuff and, 
kind of thinking about basketball and thinking about what we're not seeing. Like Tobias Harris has done a really funny thing uh, with his Instagram feed where basically every night the Sixers are supposed to play, he posts a picture of himself doing something or whatever and just talks about what a great win it was. And the Sixers are undefeated um, since the pandemic began. They're on a real roll. Uh, it's very funny. But it does kind of drive home like the stuff that you're not seeing and and what you're missing as a fan and missing as a player. Um, is there something that sticks out to you? Because the, I, I got to be honest with you. For me, I mean, obviously I miss work. I miss the regularity of it. I miss what not having the NBA means because – it's symbolic of everything else that we don't have right now. I haven't thought a lot about the games and I haven't thought a lot about the players, but you obviously are digging into this a little bit more than me. Yeah. I mean, like one of the things that I really thought about was just like beyond missing, like you said, the games and, and the NBA, you and I are both just big NBA fans in general. Like this Lakers team, like I miss being around a team that is this connected on and off the court. And like they're they're a really likable team, Brian. They are. To be around. That's true. Like, And they're among the most likable that I think you and I have covered in a while. Like, And they, they really play for each other. They're very unselfish. And it's interesting, too, because this locker room is so good. And it's coming off the heels of a season that, for a lot of reasons, the locker room was not good at all. And... I think I speak for you when I say that was disappointing in part because, I mean, beyond you know, the problems that it causes and it's just unpleasant to see, that group of you know, the kids, as they were referred to, you know, Lonzo, Brandon Ingram, Julius Randle, Kuzma, Josh Hart, you know, if you even want to stretch it back further, Larry Nance Jr., Clarkson, regardless of what you think of their potential as a core, like how good they could have grown together you think they could have been championship material, you think they could have been like a, you know, a tier B type team if you think they could have never been anything other than lucky to get in the playoffs. They were a really, really likable group together. Like they were actually a pretty fun group yeah, of kids to cover. Absolutely. And seeing that end up, you know, getting napalmed and then, you know, last season transformed into this group that really just seemed disconnected, it, it was disheartening to see. And and this year's group has been really, really enjoyable. And, you know, I've just been thinking a lot about like sort of like what I miss with this season being interrupted and, and what I don't get to see play out. And like I wrote a piece about JaVale McGee. And one of the things that I think has been really enjoyable with JaVale, beyond the fact that he's just played really well as a Laker, he played very well last year, the pneumonia bout notwithstanding, and he's been very good this year. But it's just with JaVale, and, and JaVale, I think, is a fun player to watch play. He's got some of the most unique athleticism yeah, for sure. I've ever seen. Uh -huh. But also, JaVale really had set out, and he's been open about this, that he's wanted to have respect you know, across this league and among pundits and among the people that pay attention to the NBA. And he's wanted to really remove the Shaq and the Fool image that he had. And these two seasons with the Lakers, even more than with the Warriors where he won two rings, I think have gone a long way towards that. And you see JaVale in the locker room. He's got a lot of respect there. And like his peers really like him. They respect him. He's a lot smarter than I think people realize. Frankly, he is, he is well, I mean, more insightful than the, the Shaq and the Fool yeah. thing is like the guy. He is, he's much more insightful oh, yeah. in the locker room than I expected. 
and and that's on me. That's not on him. No, it's just it's but it's, it's the Shaq and the fool stereotype. He's you know, and to be and to be fair to you, there was a time earlier in his career. I mean, Javale's always been a bright guy, but he wasn't as mature as he is now. He just, I mean, no, I mean, he and Nick Young needed to be separated. Right, they were, they were like the two kids in uh in elementary school that like by second grade the school figures out they can never be in the same class. That because he and Nick got traded out of Washington basically at the same time. Yeah. I mean, just it's it's one of those things like, but you know, it's the same as Kwame Brown. Like I when Kwame got to LA, I was expecting a way different put the play put the the player aside, a way different person than what he was. Um, I thought because he was sort of a bust and you know, there's some controversy around him in Washington and and all these things that the person would be sort of flighty and maybe, you know, not so bright and whatever petulant. it might be. Kind of petulant, good word for it. And like he was none of those things. Didn't like talking to media, but I don't blame him for that. I was certainly I, I it, were I Kwame Brown, I wouldn't want to be talking to us either. But when you could get him, and I, you know, I should have been tipped off. He had a poster of Rita Hayworth in the back of his locker and would seem to disappear <laughs> uh, somehow every every game. Um he was very thoughtful and and would answer your questions very respectful um and and an interesting guy and you just it goes to show like you can't just trust what you see on TV or what pops around the internet and actually it gets to why access is important um and why it matters that that people can be around guys and really explain them uh in ways that they might not always be able to do themselves yeah, and then I wrote with uh, the latest piece about Kyle Kuzma because I'm going to be doing a series out of this. You know, Kuzma has been up and down the last couple years, been up and down this year. Like they've really needed him to step up as a third presence, and it has not happened for a variety of reasons on an even remotely consistent basis. But what was intriguing about Kuzma is the last seven or eight games where he had been moved more along the wing once uh, the Lakers brought in Markeith Morris. Defensively, Kuzma was looking good. Getting better. He was looking much more better. effective than he had been before. He was looking, I think, more comfortable. And this was something that he had always insisted that, you know, he was actually better suited to be a wing than he was a four. And offensively, it, it had not helped. I was all. about to say, I usually mean, he's talking about his offense, not his defense when he talks about right. that. But but he I, I asked him actually about this specifically. Yeah, uh, I remember I was when there. when word uh, came out about Markeith. And Kuzma insisted on both sides of the ball that he would be better. And again, the, the, we hadn't seen it come to fruition offensively, but defensively, he was looking better. And you know, look, this could have ended up just the latest example of a fit and a start with Kuzma. But as somebody who respects the, the work that Kuzma puts into it and how much I think he really wants to be great, even if at the end of the day, he's a good but not great player. You know, I, I just wanted to see where it was going. And we, and we, yeah. we at minimum, we're not going to get to see it without a massive interruption that would be difficult for great players to overcome, much less a guy like him. Yeah, the whole thing. It's just like this it is, uh, you know, it, had this happened last year, I think most Laker fans would have been happy to pack it in for the year, uh, certainly the last couple seasons. It's just this year, there was so much to look forward to. And, you know, hopefully we'll get back to it at some point in some form. But uh, it, it's not looking promising uh, right now, but we'll see. Uh, last thing before we go, 
Uh, Kenny Rogers, the legendary singer, uh, you can't even be I mean, a country singer, but not just country. Uh, he died. He was 81, I believe, at a long illness. Uh, it was either Saturday or Sunday. Which one was it, Andy? I want to say, say it was Saturday. Sun- Saturday, yes, because today is Sunday. Right, right, correct. I'm already thinking that it's Monday. Um, and it, it was one of those things that, like, obviously, it is, it's hard to penetrate news right now um kenny rogers if you are of a certain age and and you're a little older than me um significantly older than me um (laughs) i i i say a little to be polite Um, 81 years 81 you look terrible (laughs) but 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 you are still alive Mm -hmm. and that is impressive you and Kenny Rogers, the same age. Um, he was huge. Like, Kenny Rogers was huge. Um, and it was funny, because when I went back, I was like, oh, I, I'm not a guy who knows a lot of Kenny Rogers songs. And I kind of casually looked it up, and I was like, and I, and I, so I was like, well, no, wait a minute. I know a ton of Kenny Rogers songs, and I can sing them all. Um, you know, you start going through it, and it's obviously not just The Gambler, which we'll get to in a second, but you know, Ruby and Coward of the County and Islands of the Stream with uh, Dolly Parton and uh, Lady, which of course became to me more that super homoerotic Tom Brady parody song. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I remember that. That was Brady, actually very funny. You're my QB in tight pants and I love you. <laughs> I mean, the, if you haven't heard it, it is incredibly funny. Um, but like, he was huge, Andy. Yeah, the uh, late 70s through basically the late 80s, Kenny Rogers was really big. And like you said, like you forget how many hits that he had, but also how many like, oh yeah, I'm, I forgot how big that song was. Well, completely. Oh, well, and also too, that he did uh, uh, Just Dropped In, uh, you know, to see, you know, that was eventually made kind of repopularized in Big Lebowski. Like that was Kenny Rogers. Yeah, like it's, he, a, it's a Kenny total Rod- psychedelic yeah. rock song. Like that blows people's, I had forgotten, but that blows people's minds that it was that, that was Kenny Rogers. So if, you, yeah, if you're a Lebowski fan, that song you're listening to in the bowling alley scene is Kenny Rogers. Yeah, it, it was with a group. I mean, it wasn't Kenny Rogers solo, but, but Kenny just Rogers that he's a whatever. part of it yeah. is crazy. And, and you're right. I forget all the time that he was involved with that. Um, an interesting, really interesting observation I saw in, in a piece that I read about uh, Kenny Rogers dying, um, noted that between the gambler and, and really quick before we even get to this point, like the gambler, it's kind of crazy that that song was as big of a hit as it was because it's so unusual, like topically and stylistically, like, you know, this song about, you know, these guys on a train, you know, like an old school train that like people don't ride on anymore. It's like basically, you know, he's just like teaching, teaching a guy, you know, tricks about playing cards. But and also, like, you Andy, know, tricks about life. Right, exactly. Like these life lessons contained in cards. And it's like basically like a Western set to a semi-country, like that's a pop country, song. That's a, right. It's pop, country pop. Right. And like, you know, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them has become like such a popular part of the lexicon. You never catch your money when you're sitting at the table. I guarantee there are people younger than us that use that phrase and don't even know where it I came get, oh, from. Did you know that was a cover? I didn't. Yes. I yes, did no, not. It was being covered by like 
five people in that two years. That is what I was, Brian, that's exactly where I was going with this. This article that I, that I read about Kenny Rogers passing noted that between the gambler and islands in the stream, like he, Kenny Rogers may have been the greatest presence in karaoke, like ever. Oh, oh wow. Like, because the gambler is this really fun song to do solo. Yes. Islands in the Stream is a fun song to do as a duet. They're both massive crowd pleasers. And then I started thinking about this more. And like you said, I, I had forgotten, I, I knew this, but I'd forgotten that the gambler had been done by other artists. Including like, Johnny uh, Cash. Yeah, Johnny Cash most notably. And it didn't become this hit until Kenny Rogers did his own version. And then I started going through some of these other songs of his, and I was reminded that he had a version of that Bob Seger song, We've Got Tonight, and he did it as a duet yes. with Sheena Easton, and that was bigger than the original. And Lady was written for him by Lionel Richie. And if you listen to it, it sounds like a Lionel Richie song. Yes. Like that, that Kenny Rogers is It's doing. very similar to uh, like Nothing Compares to You as a Prince song that, that he yes. gave to Sinead O'Connor. Yes. I, actually, I just, I recently learned uh, Prince actually wrote a song for Kenny Rogers. Uh, oh, that is in, so cool. In 86. But like, and yeah, go and on, if, sorry, you start, if you start going through all of Kenny Rogers' biggest hits, like he didn't write any of them. No, he's a country the, Joe Cocker. Right. Well, but he's, it, it feels appropriate that he's so big, like as a karaoke presence, because in a lot of ways, he was like a really successful karaoke artist. And like, and I don't mean that as a put down, I'm just saying like, he didn't write a lot of his own hits, but his voice and his style were so distinctive and they were aesthetically pleasing and smooth like they, and likable. They became their own thing. Yeah. People I mean, like, you go back and like, th this is a, <laughs> of all the things that are like super, uh, like straight from an era, very era specific, um, the gambler was such a big hit. It spawned a series of TV movies. Yes. <laughs> like, do you know how big a song has to be to spawn a series of TV movies, which by the way, starred Kenny Rogers. Well, also, um, but too, like, just that's how, how big this song was. Well, but also how era specific it was because TV movies. Correct. Uh, <laughs> like, just know everything, about, everything about it. Oh, also, and before we go, I have a question for you because Islands of the Stream was 1982, 83, something like well, that. Well, I think it was later than that. I don't think so. Somebody can I'm look looking it up. it up right now. I think it was 80, early 80s, 80, 83-ish. I thought it was later, but anyway, anyway go on. So that's him with Dolly Parton. I'm, yes. I was eight in 1983. I just assumed that he and Dolly Parton were doing it. Because they talked about it in the song. 83, you are correct. My bad. So that was always my assumption was I, I don't think they were. Like they you know were, were, they, were they a couple? Do you know, uh, to answer your question, no, they were not. I just assumed um, they were because they talking about making love. At least according to them, it was always platonic. It was very close. Kenny Rogers, though, had a great quote actually that I just saw um, about that relationship between him and Dolly Parton. And he said, uh, he told, I think it was the Today Show, Tension is better if you keep it that way than if you satisfy it. So he's basically acknowledging, yeah, we were attracted to each other, but we never acted on it. Good for them. Um, but by the way, Islands in the Stream, written by the Bee Gees. I knew that. I did. It's amazing. I, I did actually know that. I wouldn't have known it unless you reminded me, but now that, you know, it's, it but again, it, it, yes, it's a goes cover. Back to, it goes back to what I was talking about. And like, he, it just, it, he really had a, a huge career 
as this singer, you know, and, the, and this presence, you know, then he did the Kenny uh, Rogers roasters, you know, the, the delicious chicken, chicken. delicious, yeah, great, really successful. It's apparently still really big overseas. Like right, it's I don't, gone. I, don't think, I think, I think, I think they're gone in America though. Yes. And it was the very funny Seinfeld episode <laughs> where Kramer's living right next to Kenny Rogers roasters and the, the, the neon lights of the sign right. are keeping, him, <laughs> keeping up. him up. But, uh, and he, he apparently was a really nice man. From everything I'm reading about him, oh, he was very, very A friend nice. of my wife's, um, like, this is a very LA thing, a friend of my wife's, I'm going to get it wrong, but you'll get the idea, aunt's ex-wife, or uh, hu- uncle's ex-wife married Kenny Rogers. So Kenny Rogers was technically her uncle Kenny. And like, <laughs> she has pictures of, of him. Like, when this, when this relative died, members of the Rogers family came to this person's funeral. So it was, she wasn't like making it up. Like, you know, Kenny couldn't come because he was sick. Um, the thing that got me and, you know, sort of a bit of a down note to leave on, uh, was this message that Dolly Parton put out over, over the, you know, the, the web, however she does it. And she couldn't, she can't, couldn't, couldn't go anywhere. She talked about Kenny Rogers and like, there's no going to be no public memorial for Kenny Rogers and no big funeral. And like, because like even if you could go to the like even if people could travel around around right now, which is difficult, like all of Kenny Rogers' friends can't be in a place right. It's, it's too dangerous for like they're all in their eighties and seventies and older than that. Like it's just a, it's stuff like that that kind of reminds you of the that the time that we're currently living in, and some of the the sad things that happen that you kind of take for granted. Like we can't memorialize somebody who was that important to so many people. So, um. Let's just root for all of everyone we know to stay as healthy as possible for as long as possible. Yeah. uh, I mean, it's, you see on Twitter, you know, these, you know, like these retweets that go viral, you know, like 10,000 retweets or whatever, somebody talking about losing someone and not being able to attend a funeral and say it's really awful. Um, All right. Well, we'll, we'll leave it there. And uh, I just want, we're, we're trying to line up um guests and we'll we'll start to to hopefully see some results of that um as this continues as we discussed it is a little bit difficult to uh do it for the the sunday night slot where we typically record because apparently everyone is drunk um but we'll find some sober people schedule some stuff during the week and we'll we're hopefully hoping to uh, bring you some some good Q and A's and some good interviews as this time goes on. But anyway, we thank everybody really quick, tonight. Oh, really go ahead, quick, before yes. we go, because I'm looking at Kenny Rogers' wiki page, and mm-hmm. this is this is something that I think will leave on a more positive note after we had just talked about something a little more uh, sad. Sad. Um, according to Wikipedia, at his former estate in Colbert, Georgia, Kenny Rogers kept a pet goat named Smitty having originally acquired the animal from a friend in 2008. According to Rogers, the goat was his, quote, center, providing a calming influence after a long and stressful touring schedule. You know what that makes me think of? Kenny Rogers doing goat yoga. (laughs) I don't even know what that means. You don't know what goat yoga is? What is that? It's literally, it's, what do you think goat yoga is? Doing yoga with goats? Exactly. You do oh. yoga and goats like crawl on you and walk around you and they jump on your back and they, like you are doing yoga with goats. Didn't know that was a thing. It is. Totally. I'm not making this up. You, no, I believe you. Goat yoga. I believe you. Um, I believe you. Yeah. So anyway, that's a thing. Good. Kenny Rogers, goat yoga. Sweet. Uh, I just wanted to, I thought people would enjoy the idea of Kenny Rogers having this uh, close 
friendship, uh, companionship with his pet goat. You know what? People with goats are lovable inherently. We all loved Corey Brewer. He had a pet goat. Yes, so, he did. Um, <laughs> One of the nicest Lakers in recent memory, man. Yep. That guy was great. Uh, he was awesome. Um, all right, cool. We'll see everybody next time. Thanks for listening.